Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, Captain Dale Black, is a former airline pilot who has flown the big Boeings all over the world. As a young pilot in training at 19, Dale was the only survivor of a terrible crash when at 135 miles per hour, his plane struck the portal of the Folded Wings, a monument built in 1924 to honor fallen aviators. The plane disintegrated as it fell more than 100 feet to the ground. The two pilots at the controls were killed, and Dale was the only survivor. As the result of this accident, Dale experienced a profound NDE, and what he saw and heard in heaven turned his life inside out. After surviving the crash, Dale received supernatural intervention to walk again, use his left arm, and see out of his right eye. Dale earned a BA degree in Spanish from Port Loma Nazarene University, an MA in theology, and a PhD in business from Golden State University. He started and owned several aviation businesses, but today, Dale is a best-selling author, ordained minister, and Bible teacher, and has served as a pastor and missionary. As co-founder and president of Eagle International Ministries, he led scores of teams on short-term Christian missionary projects to more than 50 countries. When his wife, Paula, was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given three to six months to live, Dale turned his research toward uncovering the root causes of cancer. As a result, Paula's cancer was reversed without chemo, radiation, or drugs. Among their various outreaches today, Dale and Paula conduct Healing Way workshops, which blend spiritual truths with the natural laws of health. Dale is the author of the best-selling book, Flight to Heaven, and his more recent, Visiting Heaven, and co-author of the book, Life, Cancer, and God. Captain Dale, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here and to get to know you personally. It's wonderful. Well, we've had some great conversations leading up to <laughs> up to this show. Yeah. Uh, Dale, you were raised in a Christian family, and at age 11, you write, you were at a summer camp when you were moved to invite Jesus into your heart. And this proved to be a significant move in your life when you had a life review during your NDE. But before then, you had some problems. For instance, when your mom asked, how did your first year of college wind up? <laughs> and you said, not so great. So tell us that little story. <laughs> well, I had uh, I was wanting to be an airline pilot and uh, wanted to go to a college that, you know, would major in aeronautics. But my brother was a really good baseball player, and he went to what became Point Loma Nazarene College. At the time, though, it was called Pasadena College. Uh -huh. and, uh, he worked it out where I could go and play baseball at the same college that he did. We'd played baseball forever together anyway since we were children. So I went to this Christian college, and I really enjoyed it. I had great respect for everyone there. I, I I actually loved the professors. It was a wonderful, wonderful college. But Lee, I don't know. I don't know what in the world. I just had this uh, 
tremendous aggression and I was happy. I was motivated. I was not angry at people, but I just couldn't stop fooling around and pulling practical jokes. And I I actually uh, went too far with some of the practical jokes that uh, that I did. A hazing, we, we would steal the freshman class president, put him in an airplane, fly him into the desert and leave him abandoned with a snake bite kit and a dime for a phone call. <laughs> you believe the phone call was a dime back then. But uh, yeah, I was kicked out of college uh, for... Uh, well, I was kicked out twice as it turned out, but I was kicked out of college for multiple practical jokes. And it's a good thing they didn't learn about everything I had done. They only found <laughs> out about a few things, but that's all it was. I, I was not a, a, on drugs. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody, but I sure, you know, at age 18, uh, I was and 19, I could not seem to stop the fooling around the prank, the pranks. And so I got in big trouble for that. As it says in the book, your dad leaned toward your mom and said he kidnapped the freshman class president, flew him to the Mojave Desert and left him there tied up and helpless. (laughs) I thought that was quite a joke. (laughs) The funny thing is, I got a phone call from this very gentleman that we kidnapped. I got a phone call from him just a couple of years ago. Uh Uh-huh. We laughed and laughed and laughed. It had been a long time since we've seen each other. (laughs) And my daughter, who had heard the phone call, said, I thought you were exaggerating. I didn't know that was a real story. But yeah, yeah, uh, it's what happened. I was rebelling against authority. Yeah. And uh, that, you know. From the book, it sounded like this was perhaps the day before your your actual crash, that you, the story came out that your, your mom found out about it. uh, So tell us a little about um, now you weren't piloting, you were in the you were in the back seat of the plane. And that's probably why you survived. But uh, talk about how this, uh, uh, you know, how you took off and what you hit. Yeah, I was in the the right seat, the co-pilot seat, which was my standard place to be. I was able to do the work for the captain, uh, Chuck, and I I would pre-flight the airplane, load the airplane, check the oil, make sure it was fueled, et cetera, et cetera. And he allowed me to fly uh, right seat uh, without pay, but I was able to log the flight time. So I was in the right seat. Uh, A guy named Gene was in the left seat. He was actually a police officer from Fresno. Chuck mm-hmm. was in the temporary third seat. We started up, taxied out. Everything seemed kind of normal, except uh, there was something a little bit odd. I sort of noticed it, but we were getting ready to make the takeoff. About five minutes after engine start, we were taxiing, and I felt this tap on my shoulder, and Chuck said, Dale, and he went like that. He just, that means flip and change seats with me. So I saw that, and I knew what it meant. And so I got out, unstrapped myself, got into the temporary third seat, which was half in the cockpit and half in the fuselage area where the passengers sat. And then Chuck strapped himself in. We were cleared for takeoff. The weather was clear. There was no wind of any kind. No, nothing really wrong. And and we started rolling down the runway. Everything seemed to be kind of normal. And we uh, lifted off the ground, again, normal, got about 100 feet in the air, and the landing gear's up, the flaps are up, 
and got about 100 feet in the air above the runway still. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, I could tell we were in trouble. And I knew that this was a life or death situation. Hmm. Within seconds, uh, Chuck, who's the pilot in command from the right seat, he pointed with his left hand. I shall never forget that. And he said, let's land in that clear area over there. And so I lifted up and looked over the the instrument panel, and I could see what looked like a city park. Mm. Uh, It wasn't a park. It was a cemetery, but I didn't know that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to crash. Why? What the? And just at that moment, I could see Chuck grab the flight controls with both hands. And see, yeah, he turned all the way left and pulled the controls all the way back into his chest. And I'm looking at his hands and he's looking outside, obviously in a panic. Mm. And strangely, I could see him squeezing the controls so tightly that his hands became white. He was squeezing with every ounce of strength that he had. That was the last uh conscious moment uh that i that i had wow wow and we had impacted into this uh 100 foot tall mausoleum which i never knew existed and it would lie in the middle of that cemetery and strangely there inside are all of these aviators memorialized amelia Earhart, the wright brothers mechanic it's called portal of the folded wings and as you said we impacted at that into that monument at 135 miles an hour and then free fell down to the ground wow so you fell like 10 stories basically 100 feet or more yes okay now were you were you immediately out of your body the next moment, right after that, I could say there was there was like no there was like no time went by. It's just all of a sudden, after seeing Chuck's hands the way I just described, the next moment I'm looking down. I, I don't understand why, but I'm looking down at three bodies and an instrument uh debris, uh, an aircraft. And for some reason, Lee, at that moment, I didn't remember that I was a pilot or that I was in a crash or I had been flying. All I know was I'm looking down and I see three bodies. And the first body um, is completely dead. Uh, There's no doubt about it. And he's strapped to a seat. And I didn't really think about it. and I go to the second body, and oh my gosh, this is this is my friend, my flight instructor. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Chuck, and that's that's him. And about the time that I'm trying to recognize that, I look down and I see a third body, and it's me. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. It's me. But it's funny because I was up here, and that was me down there and uh i then immediately instantly realized and i don't know uh, how other than to say that god must have implanted this information into me at that moment but i then realized that my body is not who i am i'm here i'm up here 
And then, of course, later I began to realize within two or three minutes, okay, I'm a spirit. I live forever. I have a soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, and that lives forever with me. And there's my body. And that's no more important to me than a tent or uh, the roof over your over your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a three part person. We're a, a we're a spirit first, made in God's image, and we have a soul, and we live in a body. And all of a sudden, I was outside of that body. In your book, at this at this point, you have a beautiful quote from Ecclesiastes: "Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosed." Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave him. That's that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Lee, uh, I was clearly dead, okay? There was no life in me or the others as well. There's three lifeless bodies there, and I wasn't worried. I wasn't feeling any pain. I, I was just saddened. That now I realize it's me, and gosh, I died so young. Oh, my word. Mm. And then the ambulance got there, and the paramedics, some guy, some paramedic, came and worked on me. He didn't work on the other two, but he worked on me. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I realized that I need to follow this body. They put this body on on a gurney. And then they put that gurn, that body on the gurney into the ambulance, and I needed to stay with that. And I think that's kind of what this scripture is, is talking about. I didn't have to make a decision that I need to be with that body, but I, I, I felt connected mm-hmm. that I have to. I mean, I, I, that's somehow connected. Maybe there is some kind of a spiritual that silver cord is talked about a lot by people who've who've had these experiences. Okay, so you were in and out of your body a couple of times because he got your heart going again, and then you were following the ambulance. I'm going to jump to this because I think this is really an important story. When you were out of your body but in the hospital, the person in the next room went through something that was pretty amazing. Tell us about that. What I... Uh can share with you is that as I'm looking down at my body, I'm over my body just below the acoustical ceiling, and they're working on me, there was some horrendous, the worst thing that's ever happened in my life, something was happening happening in the room next to me. Mm-hmm. And now this had to be, I think, in the spiritual realm that I was a- aware of all of this, because there was just this horror, this black darkness, empty horror feeling that came over me. And I was beginning to be aware that something was happening, not to me, but to the person next to me. And I don't know why I was so connected to this person, but I was. And it it seemed like the lights of the hospital were being drained down. And then I could sense that this person was resisting and, uh, and, and there were evil spirits that came and went around that curtain that I, that was 
with me and went into that next room and was pulling this other person out with them. And this other person did not go willingly. He was fighting and 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 yelling. And uh, I, I think I say screaming in the in the book, but um this was not a pleasant experience. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I didn't think much about who that was for many, many, many months. But uh what has happened, uh, I think, is that somebody next to me was experiencing just the reverse of me. I was getting ready to go to heaven. I get, I was just getting ready to go to heaven. This person was doing just the reverse and going to hell. You said those spirits uh, slithered through space like snakes through grass. Yeah. Oh, what a powerful yeah. image. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, well, and yet you also wrote, it reminded me of a pack of wild dogs pursuing prey, but in slow motion. Right. Yeah. Well, then you're leaving, you decide to take off and you're going in the different direction. I, Thankfully, tell us about how you first got launched. I was looking at my body and recognizing that you know i'm not connected to my body all of a sudden i'm above my body watching everything i had my a little life review go past my mind like a an old movie mm -hmm. uh, and when that uh, concluded uh, i felt like i lee I, I felt like i was being pulled out of the room uh, against my will uh but gently i was just going out backwards and i was watching going backwards and I was traveling without the ability to steer or control. And then outside of the room, I started moving forward through, apparently, I didn't know it then, but it was the St. Joseph's Hospital in uh, Hollywood Burbank Airport, uh, where the many movie stars have, you know, uh, been either hospitalized or they died there, Walt Disney being one of them. Mm. Um I started moving through that hospital and then just departed at just an enormous speed. Uh, hard to describe what speed that would be. And, and I, I left uh, this planet. And you said, I think, uh, that your course was lit by a beam of light emanating from your chest, which is, uh, I, I had not heard that kind of description before. Yeah, I felt like there was a light that I was in the middle of. And instead of the light coming from far away to me, it seemed like the light was emanating from right in the center of my chest. And I was in the center of that light going somewhere. And then small spheres of light were coming by at just an enormous speed. Um, a, a little bit like watching you know, uh, warp speed in Star Wars or something like that, a little bit like that. But uh, there was a, the, that kind of an impression. And uh, I didn't understand it then, but I think I do now. I, I believe that those light spheres, there were thousands of them. I believe that they were angels going from heaven to earth. Mm. And I was going from earth to heaven, and they were transitioning, uh, transiting from heaven to earth. And there were, were tens of thousands of them, just, uh, I'm sure, at least that amount, maybe more. And then you 
managed to get two uh, angelic guides. <laughs> yeah, I, I, of course, I, I, I was traveling and I, I, I wasn't really uh, analyzing too fast. I, I was moving faster than I could think. And uh, things were happening faster than I could ex expect. But I did happen to notice as I'm looking forward uh, toward this gigantic uh, ball of gold far away, and it got, got bigger and brighter. Uh, but behind me uh, were two angelic guides that were apparently escorting me. And that was kind of strange because I could see them without losing my focus on where I was going. So somehow uh, my vision was extremely enhanced. I feel like I could see them almost uh, clearly uh, without turning my head. And yet I was facing the other direction. And what they, they were. What do they, they look were, like? Well, the, I, from what I could see, they were larger than I was, and they were like bronze in color, and they had uh, woven robes of of white, but with silver threading through them. How would I know that? I don't know. A golden uh, a, a, a belt like uh, across their lower chest but not their waist lower chest and uh just gorgeous hair like gold short and what was the most interesting was that i couldn't tell whether they were male or female but they looked masculine that's 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 what i could say they looked masculine mm -hmm. and they were they were large and strong and very loving and seemingly delighted in ushering me toward where I was going. Of course, you know, I had no, I couldn't even think about 30, what's going to happen next. I was just in the present, watching and experiencing it step by step. You saw a light that you were headed toward? The light was incredible. Yeah, that's uh, hard to describe, but um, <laughs> years later, someone sent me a video and said, Dale, was it like this? a good friend of mine in in the airline industry. And they sent me a picture of the czar bomb. Remember, you went to Russia, <laughs> right mm -hmm. up in the northern part of Russia, uh, near the Kara Sea, way back in the, I guess it would be the 50s. Uh, they detonated the largest bomb ever exploded on planet Earth. They called it the czar bomb, the king bomb. Uh, 50 megatons is what the uh, yield was, uh, apparently. But when I got that video and I watched it, if you can just experience for a moment or to try to visualize, and this helps me to describe it, the first millisecond of detonation, there's no sound, of course, but there's just white, just and that first one thousandth of a second, just there's this little light, but it's so powerful and it's going to grow extremely large. That's kind of like what I was seeing. I was seeing this gigantic, unearthly light. Uh, and it became brighter and brighter, brighter than the sun. And yet there was no damage, no danger. It was warm and inviting. 
and uh, everything we know uh, would burn and and destroy but this did just the opposite it just it pulled you in and and the closer you go to the center the more gold it is the czar bomb i i'm not so sure this isn't the way god designed it but the czar bomb when when you when you see the first explosion it's white whiter than white <laughs> it's so pure white and then as the light as you look at the light away from the center it becomes yellowish gold darker gold and then really pure gold and that was the czar bomb it did that and i thought oh my gosh I wonder if there's some relationship between that and heaven, because heaven was a lot like that. Right in the center was pure, thick, white. And be, and, and then going away from the center is gold, and it gets, just gets more gold and this rich gold. And the center light is God. <laughs> Everybody knows it. Yeah. It's not just a light, it's God himself. Well, in the nuclear explosion, you're cracking open the atom, which is, a, I mean, that would be the creation contains God within it. Yeah. So perhaps you were catching a glimpse of huh? the essence of God in, in that explosion. Yeah. You and I need to do some you know, nuclear physics experiments and see if we can get down <laughs> to the bottom of this. It would be Chernobyl in our hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> so the, the beam that was emanating from you gets overpowered by the, and you describe it as a thick, pure light that you were moving toward. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. It gets overpowered, and I don't even think about the beam coming from me any longer. That was the end of that. Uh, and that light that was in, I now realized I'm coming into, obviously, heaven. And that light, see, no one told me that the light was God, but it was obvious. And I, I didn't learn it in school, in school or in church. That light was God. And there's just no... There's just no getting away from it. That's God, and everybody knows it. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 1 that I read later, and I began to realize that God himself makes himself known. Even if we've not you know, learned about God, he makes himself known to all kinds of people through the works of God. And I think that that's uh, part of what I was experiencing there. Without doubt, the light was three things in one. It was for sure God, but in that light came life and love. Hmm. And it was all in the light. And the three are wrapped up in the one. And they're all important. As the light hit me, it as I got closer, of course, it filled me with life and strength. Life that, where did it come from? It came from the, the light. And with that life, I know it's hard to, 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 to differentiate those words, but with the life came love in the light. So the light was warm and and bright and 
wonderful, but it also contained love in it and life in it. And how do you explain that? When you come back, I don't know, but I'm sure trying. <laughs> One of the neat things about your approach to the celestial city of God is that you describe it like a professional jet captain, and you talk about how you've flown into all the major cities of the world, but this was something different. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because of that, but I felt like I was decelerating as I got closer to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going so fast, and then I was decelerating, so I was aware of that deceleration, but there were no uh, pressures that you were feeling. You're not feeling any deceleration or G-forces at all. And uh, then I felt like I was descending, decelerating, descending, just like a, an airplane would coming into land, mm -hmm. seemingly. And sure enough, uh, I came in decelerating and descending and slowing and gently made a beautiful touchdown, <laughs> in a sense, <laughs> just outside of this incredible gate and beautiful gardens, lush just an amazing landscape, hard to describe, but uh, I know that many of your guests have described it probably better than I did or I would. But what took my breath away was the moment that I arrived, there was this group of people gathering together uh, off to the left side of this road, this this little not a blacktop road, but a, a like a trail, a beautiful trail of natural substance made of. And these people were gathering together. They weren't all just waiting for me. They were just gathering at the perfect time that I got there. Mm -hmm. And it was obvious to me that they were gathering for me, and they hadn't gathered before I was there that they were gathering had it assembled just at the time that I arrived. And I looked at them and I have never been so welcomed anywhere on earth. Smiles that were brighter than I have ever seen and more genuine. And eyes that were brilliant and pure and loving. And I looked around thinking, well, obviously, I'm in heaven. I knew that when I saw the light. Obviously, my life is over on earth. Okay, I, I I get it. I get it. I'm not too worried about that right now. But so who are these people? Obviously, my family, right? You would think, I would think. Um, I looked and I didn't recognize a cousin or a grandparent or a an uncle or someone, I had lost many of those that were already in heaven, but they were not there in my, as I call the welcoming committee. And uh, I looked around and I saw just the most incredible, wonderful welcoming committee that made me feel like this is where I belong. I felt like I was home and this was my family. Then later I began to realize this is my family because you know, I've had a lot of people criticize me with emails saying, you can't do that, Dale. That's not right. You, if you go to heaven, if it was a real trip to heaven, you would be with blood family. And, and I smile back and think, are you kidding? That is my blood family. 
we're all the blood of Jesus. That's why we can be in heaven in the first place. It's the blood of Jesus. That's why I was able to go to heaven, because when I was 11 or 12, right in that area, I invited Jesus into my heart at that camp that you were talking about a moment ago. Yeah. And that changed my life. I had no idea that was the most important decision I'd ever made in my life. At age 11 and 12, I sincerely and genuinely turned the controls of my life over to Jesus Christ at a summer camp, and it changed everything for me. Well, because of that blood, we were brothers and sisters in Christ. And also, it meant that you were going to be able to go through the gate. Describe the gate. It was an opening in this gigantic wall. People have thought that there would be a, an opening like a, a door, but no, it was just a, a gate. I would guess it to be 40 to 50 feet wide, uh, maybe a little bit taller than, than it is wide. And just majestic above it were some golden letters, almost honey-colored. And the letters above the gate were shimmering, and uh, they were written in a different language that I did not understand at the time. There was some on the just before the gate, something on the ground as well. I walked over that, and the walls of the gate on the inside, as I eventually was able to move through that, but it was as if the walls were made of liquid uh, pearl that had was liquid and it had been poured on the wall and then solidified. So it was, it was pearl substance all the way on the outside and on the inside completely, uh, I guess the word is pearlescent. Hmm. And how that happened, I don't know, but I just will never forget that gate. And I guess you were going to just proceed through it, and they made you check out your name in the book before you could. Yeah, that, that was uh, interesting. There was a right before the gate. Of course, I still have the two angelic beings behind me, and they were ushering me. There was a larger angel. I think he had more power, more authority. And he was standing with what looked like a pedestal, a gigantic thick book that was had to be hundreds of pounds if it was weighed on earth. And that book was open. And somehow I knew that my name had to be in that book. And what I found out was that my name had to be not blotted out. So my name was there, and there were two dates in that. And I remember talking or thinking, because the communication was heart to heart, but I remember saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, that's not when I was born. And sure enough, that was my conception date. That's when I was conceived, and that date was in that book. And then there was another place for a date, and I was looking for it, waiting for it, you know, because I obviously I had died just what that day, I guess. But there was no date for my death, and I couldn't see any other names, just mine. And my question was, why isn't there? A death, rest in peace. What was the day that I died? And they said, what do you mean, Dale? You, you never die. No one ever dies. You were given life at conception, and your life is eternal. And that made sense, complete sense to me. And with that, I got a 
beautiful head nod that I could, you know, that I could continue through that gate. You know, they always talk about St. Peter at the gate, but I think you saw an angel. Yes, I saw an angel. I don't know if it was Peter. I, I don't think it was. I think it was an angel. But the date on that book also had another date, or of course, my conception date, but the date that I was born again, the date, remember that 11th grade or 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid? Yes. That date was in that book. That's when I went from being a child, and in my as I got older and, and understood, I turned the controls over to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I had re right relationship with God because of turning my life over to Jesus, inviting him in. That was, uh, it can't be understated. That's the most important thing I ever did. And I had no idea it was that important until this event. And oh my gosh, I'm just so glad that I went to camp that year. I'm just so glad that somebody encouraged me to go. And I can remember the guy that encouraged me. Phil Cole was his name. And uh, my life was changed. Thank God for what, what happened at that time. And that can happen to anybody. The Bible says that in order to receive eternal life, Jesus said, you know, that he doesn't want anyone to perish, that God came not to judge the world, but that the world through him would be saved. And that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and know that God raise him from the dead, then we will be saved. We will be saved according to the Bible. And so I did that, invited him in, gave him the controls of my life. That doesn't make me perfect. That doesn't mean that I don't sin from now on. But when I do sin, I don't run away from God. I run to him and ask him to forgive me and give me the strength to not do that again. That's just being a human. But, oh, my gosh, did my life ever change? And this happened to my dad. We were talking about that earlier. My dad gave his life to the Lord Jesus, and he stopped beating me. He changed. He was an angry man, and he just changed overnight in an instant. And that can happen to anybody. Call on the name of Jesus. Invite him into your life. Repent of sin, and you'll be forever glad you did. Yeah. So there you were at the, you could go through the gate, and you said it was a colorful orb of light at the gate's entrance. What was it like going through the gate? On the other side of the gate, my focus was was primarily on the people, on the people that I would connect with. and. Mm -hmm. Right away, there came an uncle that I didn't know that I had. And that was one of the first people I met. Mm. And sure enough, my father, he was the oldest in his family. But prior to my dad's birth, there was a person that was born, and he died like in three days. His name was Glenn. I never met him. I never knew him on earth. But there he was. <laughs> there he was right off the bat. And I was met by family out on the inside of the gate. And it just continues on and on. And the family, Lee, I think this is going to be hard for people to, to understand. But it's so profound to me. Blood family is really powerful. It's really important on earth. 
It's important on earth. In heaven, it's less important. It's still it's still there. We still have, oh yeah, well, you're my brother, you're my sister, but the whole of heaven is your real brothers and your real sisters because it is the blood of Jesus Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. It is his blood that was shed that we all are one. And so there I'm meeting sisters that I've never known. And there's a bond that is completely indescribable. How do you describe that on earth? I've never met this person, but that's my sister. This is my real sister. And that's wonderful. We're bonded together. But this person I've never met, but we are just as bonded. How do you describe that? I don't know. I've never been able to describe it well. But the blood of Jesus binds us together in the most wonderful way. And there are people that listen to my voice every now and then, and they're lonely. And they're 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 sad because they just don't have people that care about them. In heaven, it's just the reverse. In heaven, <laughs> there is such a bond that no one would ever be lonely. No one would ever be sad. It's not just because we get to have fun. <laughs> no, it, it it's because we are connected to family. There are millions and hundreds of millions, uh, most likely, of brothers and sisters that we are bonded together. And it makes us feel whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole and complete and lacking nothing. And it's all because, thank you again, Lord. It's all because of what Jesus did. He died in my place and in your place. He died for us and he paid the penalty for us. And what we need to do is simple. Receive the Lord Jesus into our heart and into our life and let him rule and reign and what a wonderful life this is now you describe the tunnel that goes into the city as long in other words the gate is like entering a tunnel that was you said approximately 200 feet of glorious splendor yeah describe that it sounds kind of crazy i had to think it through but yeah it sounds kind of crazy that it would be that thick of a wall Mm. but yeah it was a opening it is a gate, but it's an opening in through this wall. And, and the wall goes all the way around the city. And the wall is made of very large uh, translucent stones. And so this gate goes right through it. And, uh, and you have to have permission to go through the gate. And I think we, at least in my case, uh, we had to have a little bit of a life review, and we had to make sure that our name had not been blotted out of what I found out later was the book of life. Right. And once you're in there, one of the things you first mention is in your book is the ministry of music. Talk about what you heard. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh I'm not a musician at all. I'm not trained as a musician. And there are some people in your audience who are. 
So I won't be able to explain in musical terms like they would like, but for the lay person, I think I can do that well. The music from heaven <clears throat> is more than what we hear. On earth, we we you know we hear the music, uh, and sometimes we we feel the music, but in heaven, it just goes right through your cells. The music is uh, it's part of that oneness. It is absolutely uh, indescribable. The music is like love. How do you describe love? Yeah. It's a little hard to do, but the music there gave life. It gave worship. It it was not like on earth too often. It penetrates right through to the heart. And I think the octaves, the the range goes way above our normal hearing ability on the earth. Again, those professionals out there that are scientists and are musicians, I don't understand all of the things I'm talking about, but I think with that we might be able to hear in this range. But in heaven, that range is just way higher notes that we can hear <laughs> maybe on maybe we could hear a dog whistle up there i don't know and, <laughs> and and lower notes maybe five octaves below middle c five octaves above middle c and the harmony i don't know about again i i'm no musician but i understood my mother uh, would sing three part harmony with her two brothers. And so I grew up with a three-part harmony, knowing a little bit about that. I couldn't do it, but they they would do three-part harmony. And I'm hearing, what, 12, 20-part harmony? I, I, I can't believe it. And the pitch on earth, we do the best we can to all sing the same note or the, the same harmony note. And we're off by a, a, a milli second or a milli octave there it's just like perfection and there's instruments there's voices and the main thing the main thing how do you describe this is the unity in the music every singer every instrument there is unity that is completely unlike anything i've ever seen on the earth unity so when I describe music, there's love and unity in it, and that just shuts down those professional violinists and cello people. They don't even know what I'm talking about, and I don't really know how to explain it better. Unity. That's what the music was to me. I've been in a couple of church environments where it's very rare, but something would happen on earth. And there was a, a flow of the Holy Spirit inside of a meeting. It could be a small meeting, could be a little bit larger, but probably five or six times in my entire life, there was a move of God's Holy Spirit in this little meeting, and I happened to be present. And there was such love, and there was such an openness to allow God's Spirit to prevail in that setting. And usually that's because the leader or the pastor, whoever's leading that group, 
allows that, invites the Holy Spirit, gets out of the way, and lets the Holy Spirit come and do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Mm. And when I get in that environment, oh my gosh, it's it's like bringing a bit of heaven to earth. And we can do this, Lee. We can do this today. We can do this tomorrow. But we have to do it with God's Holy Spirit. We have to let him prevail and him rule and reign. And oh my gosh, then when you hear that kind of music, then you experience that kind of unity. And it's it's better than anything I can describe on the earth. There's just nothing better than the music where the Holy Spirit is present. I don't now, know helps. <laughs> now, to take you back to the light again, you said in the book, originating from somewhere near the center of the massive city, this colossal light source, bright beams of what looked like liquid light, erupted gracefully into the sky, hundreds of miles upward and outward, along countless others that were being birthed every second. Tell us about that. Were you drawn to the center of the city on that account? Yes, yes, sir. That's correct. And, you know, it describes sort of, for hundreds of years, none of us understood the real inner workings of our sun, you know, the sun that we have over our solar system. But if we look at the sun, we see that that's happening in the sun. These these gigantic rays of of light and photons that come up and then back down. And it was a little bit like that, just this light going up and coming back and going up and coming back. It's all emanating from God. I don't understand it. Who could? But people want to put God in ways that they can understand, and I I, I can understand that. We all would like that. But God is so omnipotent. He's so magic, uh, majestic, sorry. Mm -hmm. He's so gigantic. He's so, he's everything. And it's really hard to put God in a little tiny box that we can understand and comprehend. And yet, thank God, because of Jesus, we see how God can work in our lives. Jesus Christ, he was our example, and he's our example today. We read about him in the Bible, and we need to have a good Bible. There's a lot of translations that that may not be quite as accurate, but we get a good old Good old, uh, an older Bible is what I use, a 1960s version or 1970s version. A King James version is awesome. The new King James version in the earlier days when it first came out, we get a glimpse of God by learning about Jesus. And even Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you don't know me, how can you know the Father? (laughs) oh it's so it's so awesome in the book you say i instantly understood what the scripture god is love actually means it's not that god is capable of love or has the attribute of being a loving god he is love yeah it is inseparable from him it is who he is what he is and how he is yeah that was beautiful 
And it, yeah, thank you, uh, Lee. And it's it, getting to know you yesterday that seems like that's the way you would describe God as well. It isn't that he is capable of love. He is love, capital I-S. He is love. He's he's more than he's more than that too, but he is love. That's just a, a part of who he is. And a lot of people think that God is 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 mean, and that he's he's a he's a he's going to punish. Uh, God is just, but he is love. There's we don't see that God is. Uh, mean. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that God is mean. No, it means God is love and he's long suffering and he's patient and he gives his children time and time again, opportunity to turn to him. Even when we rebel, even when we uh, repent and then we go and make another mistake, we fall short again and he comes back. He's long suffering. He is love, but he's also, he's also a judge. And Jesus, according to the Bible, and and the and the the sensation that I got when I came back to Earth, I knew that someday I would see the return of Jesus. I I knew that I was quiet about it, but I knew that someday I would see the return of Jesus. But this time, when Jesus comes back, uh, he doesn't come back as the Lamb. The first time he did, he was the Lamb. Mm -hmm. He came as Savior. But he's coming back again, and and Lee, he's going to come back in my lifetime. I'm convinced of it, and uh, I'm 73 at, at, as we're speaking now, and he's coming back in my lifetime. I believe that, uh, and he's coming back as judge. Yet there will be a catching away of his children. Not when most people believe it'll happen. But there will be a time where where the church, the followers of Jesus, will be taken up. It's called the rapture, oftentimes called the rapture. It's not a Bible word, but it is the catching away of the saints. And we will be taken out before the wrath of God comes to the earth. Now, you describe the energy of the light that we've been talking about as, as flowing through the grass and the trees and the animals, and there are animals, as you point out. But also you talk about water, and I thought water was particularly interesting. You say the water appeared to have life within itself. When it moved, it seemed to sing and dance all by God's design. It just sounded incredible, the energy and the beauty of the water. It's really hard to describe. It's easier to write for me, but yeah, I started recognizing that, well, there must be gravity. I mean, think about it. There's water flowing down. I'm, I'm not telling you to think about it. I was thinking about it. But <laughs> water was flowing down, and uh, there's life in the water like you just described. But, yeah, and the light would go through every every cell of every substance, including my spiritual body, my now, my my physical body was still on the earth in a coma, but uh, it would go through my spiritual body, and it, it was just it would touch everything. And once again, everything the light would touch would fill it or infuse it with life and love, with that light. 
And the three, I, I don't know why, but, you know, God made us in a tri, as a triune being. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. God is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, that triune, uh, that triune God. He's three in one. We're three in one. And it's just incredible how God has designed it all. So and if God have, is God, if God is love, Jesus is the personification of that love. Yeah, well said. And, and the uh, Holy Spirit is the vibration of that love. Yeah, yeah, that would work. <laughs> hey, yeah. you came to you came to a stairway. Tell us about the stairway. Well, it's gigantic. It, it was I, I call it a stairway. It was it was a gigantic uh, wide stairway that got narrower as it went up, and I thought that. It was obvious that I, it seemed like, maybe I wanted this, but it seemed like I was going to be ushered up that stairway. And so it just made sense that I'd come through uh, this portion of heaven, and now I was nearer the center, and I saw this stairway, and so I began to move up it, just taking normal what appeared to be steps up the step and I was I was stopped and I you know I wasn't trying to push my way through anything but I, I felt like I was more than uh at home so I inquired why couldn't I go further and they I was stopped by an angel again and once I was told that if I would go up this I could not return and that was strange. I don't know if you wanted to know about that, but I realized I couldn't go up that stairway. I was mm -hmm. standing on like one or two steps, and then I couldn't go further. Yeah, because I if I did, I couldn't go back. Others who've had NDEs describe a point at which, if they cross, it wasn't always a staircase. In fact, I think it's rarely a staircase. But that makes sense to me that you cross that point and then you can't come back. Now we are unfortunately running out of time but we have come to the lamb of god and we can't <laughs> end this without your telling us about that well i was on that stairway and i thought why couldn't i just go up and i was being informed that i couldn't go further and still return back and that made me think return back return back to where what are you talking about and just as I was thinking, this was happening really fast, this large, what appeared to be an angel, turned around, and I'm face to face with the Lord Jesus. And how would I know it was him? Obviously, if you see his eyes, you'll know that it's Jesus. This was the Son of God. This was my Savior. This was the Lamb of God. And he was the one righteous enough and and holy enough to, without sin on the earth, he's able to open up the seals in heaven that we read about in Revelation. This was Jesus. This was the Savior of the world. And without Jesus, we don't have right standing with God. With Jesus, no matter who we are, male, female, no matter what we've done, with Jesus, we have right standing with God, and that's who I'm looking at. And I think I looked into his face and his eyes 
for no more than a second when I felt my strength of my legs and my knees just, I just couldn't stand. I couldn't stand in front of the most holy and sinless Lamb of God. And I just fell to his feet. I didn't try to grab his feet. I just fell to his feet. And then I noticed the nail scar on those feet. And I held those feet. And I worshiped. My life's being changed. And he came and spoke into my ear and said some words that I'm not prepared to tell anybody about yet. I feel like they're very private. Maybe I'll write them someday, but I have not written them yet. I've not shared those words with anybody other than my wife. And uh, he spoke those words to me. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm waking up in a coma, in a hospital, completely bandaged and stitched. But I don't know that. I have one eye completely covered and stitched. And all, you know, uh, I, I, I have a, almost a head cast. But I don't know that. And I wake up in this coma to the sounds of glorious music fading away. And I feel like, Lee, if I can describe this correctly, I feel like suddenly somebody put new eyes in my sockets. And I was looking out at the planet Earth where I used to live. But instead of living in a, like a two-dimensional world, I was now living in a multi-dimensional world. It was like I was living in black and white before. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in color. I'm just trying to describe that when I awoke at that moment, nobody knew I was awake, just me. When I awoke, everything was different. Yeah, the walls are there. The bed is the same. But everything looked different to me. I was seeing into, I think, the way God intended us all to be able to see and to, to look with eyes that that truly can see. And all of a sudden, I realized I had a heart that started working the way it was tended to work. Mm. And I wanted to tell the nurse she was not far away, and I was mumbling, and I was trying to talk to her. What I was trying to say was, nurse, do you know about Jesus? Not something most pilots would say. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Captain Dale Black became Reverend Dale Black, so certainly more than appropriate. Dale, we are pretty much out of time. I would encourage people to get your books because there's so much detail of your visit to heaven. It's certainly worth reading about. We covered a good bit of it, but not nearly enough. But thank you so much for sharing your amazing NDE with us today. Thank you, Lee. You're such an interesting person to talk to with such intelligent and spiritually mature questions. And thank you for the honor. Well, I better be mature at my age. 
<laughs> yeah, you'll, you, I think you just turned 60. Is the way. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> hey, Dale, tell our audience how they can learn more about your work and where they can get your books. Yeah, at daleblack.org on the website. We have videos there, about 840 as of yesterday. Uh, we teach all kinds of things about God and about how God works and healing. And we have workshops that uh, help people reverse some of the most incredibly insidious chronic diseases. So we are serious about bringing health and healing to God's people. And we are real serious about my wife was, uh, as you said at the beginning, she was able to reverse cancer without chemotherapy, without radiation, without additional surgeries, no drugs. And that was over 25 years ago. She's not afraid of cancer. We're not afraid of cancer. We know how to reverse it. And if you can reverse cancer, you can certainly reverse heart disease and diabetes and arthritis, and the list goes on and on. So yeah, daleblack.org, we have a store there, we have videos there, and uh, we just welcome anybody that would like to learn more about God to go there. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dale. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 490 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. Be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.